Good morning. If you have a Bible, uh, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 10. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 10. If you need a Bible, we've got some ushers coming down the aisles. You can just slip a hand up. They'll uh, get one in your hands you can use this morning, or you can uh, use the QR code and get to um, right to where you need to be with, with the scripture and the outline and everything uh, that is available to you. We're starting a new series this morning called Heaven. And it's a six-week series that we'll be in. So glad that you are here worshiping with us and those who are joining us online and those um, who are part of traditions and those who are in kindred. So many different uh, ways to worship, places to worship, but we're one church serving the same God with the same mission and vision. Why a series on heaven? Because I believe the more that we can set our hearts and our minds on the things above, Colossians talks about that, we find ourselves less consumed with the temporal here and now. Heaven is a very big topic. In fact, I had a pastor uh, this last week who asked me, what do you, what's your next series? And I said, it's on heaven. And he said, well, that's, that's pretty broad, and, and it is. It's a big topic, but many people have different views on whether heaven is even a, a real place or is it a figment of our imagination. Not only are there many views on the reality of heaven, but what will it be like? And we have all kinds of questions. What will it look like? And even though Brian Adams sings a great song about heaven, uh, those from the 80s will, will connect with that one probably, Great song about heaven. The truth of the matter is none of us have ever been there. Therefore, some of what we talk about through this series is, is just speculation, but what we will use is the hints that we have in scripture that are available to us and other resources like the book called Heaven, I mentioned last week, that's written by Randy Alcorn. We have copies of that book now available at the info desk if you wanna purchase a copy of that book. Phenomenal book on the topic of heaven. In every person's life, there comes a moment when one must decide what they believe about the afterlife. In other words, what happens to us when we die? Here are some views of the afterlife. Some people think after death, people just go into a spirit realm. Some people think heaven and hell are just places in our mind. Some believe in reincarnation, reaping the consequences of one's actions and decisions. Uh, there's a recent movement called Love Wins. Eventually God's love always wins out and everyone will eventually find themselves in heaven and there is no literal hell. Some believe in spontaneous combustion, just like when you die, boom, poof, you're gone. When people die, they just fall asleep forever, some think. They just take a really long nap. But here's a, here's a quick synopsis and a quick overview of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that there is a literal, eternal heaven and hell. Every person will spend eternity in one of those two places. Every person's eternal destination is not based on how good a person uh, you might be, how many good things that you have done. It's determined by your willingness or your unwillingness to respond to God's invitation to receive forgiveness of sin through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. Heaven is the eternal home of God's children who will live in his constant presence in the absence of sin. 
Hell is the eternal home of those who are not God's children. It's utter darkness and unfathomable evil. Not one glimmer of hope or the presence of God. And all of those things that I just kind of rifled through and the truth of what God's words, that's, those are some of the things that we'll talk about over the next several weeks about what is heaven like, what is hell like. But there is one thing that all of us in this place, those joining online, no matter where you're at, we have in common and that's mortality. The current death rate is 100%. Leaving this earth is an absolute guarantee. Your time on this earth will come to an end. And for that reason, knowing that our time is limited here on this earth, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. There is nothing more important than responding to God's invitation to accept Jesus as your personal savior. And I'll say this right up front at the beginning of the series, if you have not done that, please, please seek me out, seek one of our pastors out, seek one of our elders out, and say, tell me more about that. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest preachers to ever live, often spoke of heaven. I've paraphrased one of his thoughts. He said, it, it would be of great value for us to spend this life as a journey toward heaven. When living our life with heaven as our final destination, everything else in life becomes less important. Why in the world, knowing what awaits us, would we set our hearts on anything else? I wanna begin our heaven series today not talking so much about heaven the place, we're gonna get there in this series, but about the here and the now. It seems to me that to have a proper perspective of heaven and to even get our, our minds around heaven at all, we first have to understand uh, the place and the purpose and the time in the here and now in order to make sense of it. The more we understand the here and the now, the present, the more we'll understand about our eternal home. One day a few years ago, Lori asked me, how do you know that heaven is for real? And I, and I gave her a solid answer. I said, well, because the Bible says it's real, right? And that's our quick go-to. The Bible talks about heaven, it is for real. And then I thought about it a little bit more and I gave another answer. I said, I know it's for real because it seems like we have within us a longing, a deep longing for something that we're not able to fulfill in the here and now. And I've seen it in other people and I've experienced it myself. Do you long for heaven? May our hearts ache with a homesickness for heaven, knowing that when we get there, the presence of Christ will be far greater, more powerful than anything we could ever imagine. So this morning, I wanna talk about three reasons for homesickness. Three reasons why we have this, this longing within us for our eternal home. Reason number one, we're homesick, is because we have tasted what is yet to come. We've tasted what is yet to come. Ephesians 1, three through 10 helps us with that. Verse three, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
We have been blessed in the heavenly realms. When a person receives Jesus as their savior, there's this union that gets formed. There's this fellowship that is established and they will never be the same. In fact, if a person who comes to Jesus for salvation, we must change. The scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. They're a brand new creation. So if a person says they are a Christian, but nothing about them has changed, I would wonder about their salvation. Because change is a key component of accepting Jesus Christ as our savior. We're being transformed. That requires change. This newly established fellowship or union that I'm talking about is much more than a ticket stub to get into the gates of heaven. It's more than, than uh, you know, uh, Apple wallet on your phone that says, I scan this. It's, it's more than that. The very moment you say yes to Jesus as your savior, you become what is called a beneficiary of your eternal inheritance. And that's why you're still here. So you as a child of God have in your possession every spiritual blessing made available in the heavenly realms. Your name is instantly written into God's will as a benefactor of all of his blessings. And God has given you every spiritual blessing you need in order to live on this earth, a victorious and abundant life in him now and forever. And so we're talking about, remember, having this taste of that which awaits. And when you taste the blessings that God has given you, you'll start to experience this, this empty feeling in your gut. And that empty feeling is homesickness. It's shown to be consistently true when you have tasted any amount of God's blessing in your life. There is no way you cannot want more. When you taste of God's blessings, it's unlike anything that you've ever tasted before. So Ephesians 1 teaches us that we have tasted what is yet to come. Well, how so? Verse four, you are chosen. It says verse four. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So we're just gonna unpack this a little bit. How so? How so have we tasted this? Well, prior to Christ, our condition, let's just be honest, was not favorable, right? Our need was great, and our ability to help ourselves uh, was not a. Uh, we were powerless, incapable of saving ourselves. And at just the right time, the scripture says, Christ died for me, Christ died for you. So while I, I'll just speak for me, while I was wallowing in the muck of this world, lusting after pleasure, interested in self-gratifying activities, living in darkness, participating in the most vile and disgusting and wicked things known to man, when I was full of envy, strife, deceit, malice, slander, arrogant, boastful, senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless, while I was a slave to sin, Christ died for me, for you. So Paul says in verse four, he chose us in him. So for a moment, I want you to taste of this blessing because again, I believe after you have tasted, you will crave, which ultimately will result in homesickness. If you are a believer here this morning, you are not so because 
you chose God, you were a believer because he chose you. Choosing people into salvation is an act of God. He chooses people from darkness or from the former way of life into a new way of life, into the light. This is what a person is referring to when they say, I have been born again. That's, that's the idea behind it. I've been born again. A person passes from spiritual death to spiritual life. And when a believer comes to grips with the truth, knowing that they are chosen by God, now they can say, I am blessed. Now they can say, I've tasted of God's goodness and I want more. Now they begin to understand homesickness. We have tasted what is yet to come. Another way that we've tasted it, verse five, you are adopted. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will. To the praise and the glorious grace which he has freely given us and the one he loves. Not only were we chosen by God, but he adopted us. Spiritual adoption is this, this legal declaration concerning our relationship with God. At the moment of salvation, we're adopted into God's family. Adoption is the act that makes us this legitimate child of his. It's fascinating because this, this adoption gives us what we might call an adult-like standing. Think of it in the sense of having this mature standing and the rights to his kingdom and all of his blessings. Anyone who has been given rights to his kingdom and blessings can only say, I have tasted and I long for more. I'm growing even more homesick. Verse seven, another way, is that you're redeemed. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. The prefix re means to return to an original condition that was either ruined or lost. So redemption simply means to buy back something that was previously owned. So the perfect fellowship and relationship man had with God in the beginning was destroyed. As we know, Adam and Eve sinned and, and, and it severed and it broke that relationship. And since that moment in time, every person uh, that has been born must be redeemed, must be brought back. We had to be purchased or we had to be bought with a price. And there was only one payment that was good enough to redeem us. And his name is Jesus. When we who are believers come to grips with the truth of being purchased with a price, knowing that the only acceptable payment for us was Jesus on the cross, I think we can say, I am blessed. I have tasted of God's goodness. I've tasted of his love. I've tasted of his grace in my life. I've tasted of his mercy and I want more. I'm growing even more homesick. So the first reason that we're homesick is because we have tasted what is yet to come. 
Another reason we're homesick is because our time is short. Psalm 39.5 says this, you have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Psalm 39.5. In this one verse, David says, you have made my life. David speaks to the sovereignty of God here. Hidden in this one little phrase is our assurance of God's complete, unquestionable control of our days. Not only did he determine the start of your life by creating you in your mother's womb, he also predetermined the number of days in your life. Neither the beginning of life nor the end of life is any at all a surprise to God whatsoever. He is fully aware of, your, of the past, the present, and the future. Nothing will ever catch God by surprise. We're surprised every single day, are we not? You get a text or you look on social media or you get an email or you see on the, we're surprised every day that something happened to somebody or even last night, I was, I happened to see on Facebook, um, you know, I don't know if you know, you have these classes, like I have the class of 1984, Lincoln High School, Des Moines. Lori has the class of 1984, Ankeny High School in Ankeny. And I happened to see when, you, uh, when you're part of these groups, you see when, when classmates pass away and it's like, it's a total shock. He is fully aware of the past, the present, and the future. Nothing catches him by surprise. God knows fully how, when, and where you will leave this earth. And so let us begin as David, saying, you have made my life. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand, which means the spread of the hand. I mean, even if, if you just look at your hand, and so David is using this analogy and say, when I look at my hand, maybe from here to here, or here to here, um, that's, that's, that's life. And he's saying, that's how long your life is. And you're like, okay, what's that compared to? Well, he's saying, hey, I'm just using a hand as an analogy because it's, it's much shorter than from, from your elbow to your wrist or your kneecap to your feet. And he's saying, in, in, in relation, look, your life is not very long. That's what he's saying. Comparatively, it's much shorter than the length of, of other parts or other ways of measuring simply to say my entire lifetime is just a moment to you. He's trying to get our attention, saying, guys, this, this is short. Uh, Psalm 94 says, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has gone by, or like a watch in the night. And it's only when our life is put into this, this kind of perspective that we begin to be interested in eternity. When we go, oh wow, this is really is like, like the, the snap of a finger, or the blink of an eye, or the mist that's on the ground and it's gone, it's, it's, it is really short. And, and then all of a sudden we're like, let's put that in perspective to eternity. And when we gain God's perspective of life and eternity as believers, suddenly the things that seem to matter so much in this life are no longer so important. When our thoughts are on eternity, areas that we will find affected are our priorities and our time and our money and our values, and our relationship. I, 
I brought a, a, a clock with me, you may have noticed that. Um, this is just an old clock, and, and I thought, I've, I've used this illustration before in different ways, but it always just kind of gets me, too, in a sense. And I thought of um, in seasons or stages of life in, in, in 20 years, so 20, 40, 60, 80, and I'm not suggesting that, that 80 is the end, right? <laughs> Uh, many people are part of this church that are more than 80, but it's just, it's just for the sake of, of an illustration. But imagine that it's noon and, and, you're, and you're 20 years old. Well, a 20-year-old is thinking, I got my whole life in front of me, right? I'm invincible. I, but they're also wrestling with questions like, what, what is my purpose? What's the meaning of life? And so they're, they're kind of they're sorting that all out. And so that's noon, so to speak. And then if you go like to three o'clock, all of a sudden, you're 40 years old. And now at 40 years old, and it's three o'clock in the afternoon, so to speak, and time is ticking away, and you're asking different kinds of questions. You're asking, um, I wonder what direction I should go, or what career path, and should I switch career paths, and how many kids will I have? Am I, you know, I'm married, and all these kinds of questions about life, but you're watching the clock, and you're going, I can't believe I'm 40 years old already. And then time goes on. And suddenly, it's six o'clock, right? And time just keeps going. And, and maybe, maybe you're, you're 60 years old. And all of a sudden, if you know this and you're in that, 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 that time space between 40 and 60, all of a sudden, it's no longer about what direction and, and what should I be doing and what have I been doing and, and, and what decisions will I make. But all of a sudden, when you're 60, um, I hear from a lot of people that you start to look back a little bit more and you're not as much looking forward. You're starting to look back and you're going, what's my legacy? What have I accomplished? What impact have I had? And the, and the time just keeps going. And, and you're 80 years old. And, and, and now reports are saying they're conflicting, right? You look up some reports and they're saying, well, we're not living as long. And then you look up other reports and say, well, actually, we're living a lot longer. One report I saw this morning is that, that men, 6.5 years longer in the last couple of years, the, Lifespan is increasing. But the point is, is that life just goes by like a clock. And, and you know how old you are and you know what stage of life you are. Where, where are you at on the clock, so to speak? And, and it's humbling to think, oh my goodness, it's six o'clock at night and I'm this age or it's eight o'clock at night and I'm this age and, and life just keeps going. It's short. We need to prepare for home because we have tasted what is to come and because our time is short. There's one final reason, because this is not our home. 1 Peter 2.11 speaks to this. It says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. Peter's writing to, to Christians saying, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you. 
Peter, it implies the reason I'm pleading with you is because of your place in this world. In the New Testament, Christians are often referred to as these, these strange names and characteristics of aliens and strangers and pilgrims of this world. And we're given all these, these interesting titles. The description of an alien means belonging to another. And so Peter said, you're an alien in this world. You don't belong to anybody here. You don't, you don't even belong here. You belong to another. We are foreigners from another nation. As resident aliens, we are simply pilgrims passing through a land that, that, that is not intended for us. This, this land, friends, this time here is a snap of a finger. This world should become less familiar. And that which awaits us should become more familiar. And the difficulty for us as Christians is living year after year in a land that is foreign and not becoming more and more familiar to the point that it starts to feel like home. And that's what Peter's kind of warning us about. To be considered a foreigner means to be a guest in a private family as opposed to the members of a family. Are you getting the picture? We're merely guests passing through. Everything is temporary. Possessions, relationships, it's all temporary. If we live our life preparing for our true home, eternity, what does that mean for the here and now? I think when we grasp the fact that we have been chosen, we've been adopted, and that our time is, is short, when you, when you look at the hand breath, and that we're just passing through. When we think of all those things and the different ways that we have, that we have tasted and, and, and the reasons why we're homesick, when we, when we stop and we ponder all those things, it has to affect us. It has to affect the way that we raise our children. Maybe we hit the pause button and we realize, wow, maybe my goal as a parent isn't to raise my child and, and to help them think that they are the best kid that's ever lived on the face of this earth or that they're the best athlete that's, that's ever existed or that somehow they're better than other kids. Not to prepare them to be functional adults who can somehow contribute to a society, which that's our hope, right? We raise them to prepare them for their permanent home. It affects the way we spend our money. When we live preparing for our true home, we view money differently. Our treasure box becomes eternal and it's no longer on this earth. We learn to, to stop wanting more and more just to feel better. We learn to be content and satisfied. We learn that our money is not our own and that we only have it because God has, has been generous towards us. We learn to use it for God's glory and not for our own glory. It has to affect these kinds of things, the way we raise our kids, our money, our marriage. When we live preparing for our true home, our marriage takes on a whole new purpose. It becomes a reflection of what we really believe to be true about God. I say that all the time about marriages. Marriage is this reflection, this relationship of what we, what we believe to be true about God. We would cherish every moment, thank God for another day with the one that we, we love deeply. Treat our spouse with love and respect. Pray for their strength and the journey with Christ. Encourage them and serve them. It has to affect us. This mind shift, this, this perspective has to affect us. 
And knowing that we're chosen and adopted and that life is short and that we're just passing through, it affects our, all of our relationships. When we live as though we're preparing for our true home, I wonder if we would stop holding so many grudges. I wonder if, if we got that perspective, would we forgive more? Would we love more? Would we offer more grace? Would we offer more, more mercy? Would we stop making the insignificant seem so significant? And we slow down and we engage what is really important in this life. We spend more time with loved ones. We stop wasting the minutes, the hours, and the days that God has given us to use for him. We become more eager to listen and obey his voice. When we think about our time, when we live preparing for our true home, we see our time here as limited. We have a growing urgency to tell other people about Jesus. Because time is running out. All of those areas of life would be different simply because our perspective would change from being so consumed with the here and now and being consumed with our eternal home. Are you consumed with what is yet to come? Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven tells this story. In 1952, young Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off Catalina Island determined to swim to the shore of the mainland, California. She'd already been the first woman to swing, swim the English Channel both ways. The weather was foggy, it was chilly. She could hardly see the boats accompanying her. Still, she swam for 15 hours. And when she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother, who was in a boat alongside of her, told her she was close and that she could make it. Finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming and was pulled out. It wasn't until when she was on the boat that she discovered that the shore was less than a half mile away. And at a news conference the next day, she said this, all I could see was the fog. I think if I was able to see the shore, I would have made it. Consider her last words. The shore for believers is heaven, an eternity in the presence of God. If we are willing, we can look through the fog of this life and see the shore that awaits us. And when we see the shore, we gain a new fervor in life. We become much more purposeful and passionate about our pursuits. Next week, I'm gonna talk about death is final. Heaven and hell are real places. As you may or may not know, our mission statement at Bethel is to love God passionately, to love others intentionally, and to serve the world sacrificially. All that we do here at Bethel is because of the great command to tell others about Jesus. And the idea of telling other people about Jesus goes hand in hand with the series that we're in. And one of the ways to do that, and one of the ways that we do that here at Bethel is through outreach. And last year we introduced to you um, Trunkapalooza. We had over a thousand people come from our community to the event. And maybe you were here, we had free food, you know, hot dogs, popcorn, nachos. We had 40 trunks set up that were, um, some of them were games, some of them were just giving out candy. 
and we had games going on, we had inflatables, we had all this stuff going on. And it, and it wasn't just to do an event, but the purpose of the event, the entire purpose of the event was to build a bridge from us into our community to build relationships where ultimately our goal is to share Jesus with those who don't know Jesus. I wanna invite you to join us again in our effort to build bridges this year. October 15th, 11 to one, maybe you mark your calendars. We need about 80 volunteers. We need 40 trunks, so if you enjoy doing that kind of thing and, and you wanna build a trunk where you hand out candy or have a game, that sort of thing, or you just wanna help, we need about 40 other volunteers. Um, it was an amazing day last year. Uh, we moved it up a little bit this year because it was so cold last year, but um, you'll see the trunk in the foyer. If you just wanna bring candy and fill the trunk, because that's the candy we use, or you say, hey, I wanna, I wanna jump on board with the mission here, and I wanna uh, offer myself to be a part of that uh, effort in reaching people for Jesus, maybe you would take a minute and, and check that out. Let me leave you with one thing. Learn to live homesick. Philippians 3.20. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. Amen.